Welcome this morning. My name is Ron. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey Church. We're glad you're with us today. I feel a little out of it, so if I just lay down in the middle of the service and take a nap, please forgive me. You could just leave at that point, I suppose. We've been talking about this idea of unforced rhythms of grace that comes from Matthew chapter 11. Uh, the, the, the version that we've been uh, talking about is from the message. Uh, it's verses 28 through 30, and it says these things to us. We're reminded each week of how important this is um, for us today, and maybe some of you still feel like this or are going to feel like this or have been feeling like this, and it's this is, this is the words of Jesus. Are you tired? Anybody? Worn out, burned out on religion. It's all right to raise your hand in here at church and say that. Okay, it's kind of weird, huh? Burned out on religion. He says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I love that. Um, and then he says, I'll show you how to take a real rest, something that's much deeper. We we've been talking about the soul. So this is not just rest like I'd like, you know, to lay down, take a nap, or just kind of chill out. This is something deeper, something that we need that goes much further than a nap. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And he says, walk with me and work with me. Now, some translations you're going to see, take my yoke upon you. Keep pace with me, he's telling us. And uh, watch how I do it. So he wants to show us. Jesus gives us examples, shows us by the way he lives his life how to have this real rest, how to, to not be worn out and weary and burned out by religion. Um, and so he says, watch me how I do it. And he says, I w won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting ill on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, I skipped that little part. That's our little main phrase. Learn the unforced. I love the words that he uses. Peterson wrote, the unforced rhythms. So the repetitive things that are good for us, healthy for us to do. That's why we're talking about them and why we need to do them. So some of these things, they're necessities. They aren't just good ideas. These are necessities. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So it's not something that it's a burden, but we take upon it from God's grace for us, for our good, and uh, we learn these things. And they are repetitive rhythms of life that we want to add to our life that will encourage us, help us, keep us on track, get us back on track, whatever it may be. Now, we talked about longing and desire week one. Then last week, we talked about something that's really unique for most of us, hard probably for all of us, and that's silence and solitude. How many practiced silence and solitude this week? How'd that go? Uh, like if you even try. So one of the things I want to free you up, if you tried this week and you hated it, or you said, that's dumb, I'm not doing this anymore, or you found yourself right when you said, God, here I am. And then suddenly you thought about it's different than God. Some of them even sinful. I mean, I won't tell you what I think about when suddenly I want to be quiet with the Lord. You don't need to know that. It's none of your business. All right? Although we are talking about confession today. so. Um, but I want to free you up. Some of those things, this is only what I'm learning with you. Th these are things that God, he wants to meet you right there. Yeah, but you don't know what I thought about. No, I, he wants you to meet you right there. These are things that come up that we need to address. Um, and so it's, a, it's a, 
uh, practice. That's why we call them spiritual practices, okay? And for many of us, we will practice the rest of our life. And so these are things, though, that are important. So allow God to meet you in those areas. Ron, my quiet time, my, my uh, you know, silence and solitude was horrible. Praise God. It was horrible. Let him meet you right there. And the worst of things, the, the, the worst of thinking, whatever it is, I want to encourage you, don't, don't get frustrated um, and then give up. Just keep practicing. Take 30 seconds. It may take, you know, uh, two seconds, you know, and then you're off in another direction, right? The squirrel thing. That's me. But, but don't give up. Thank the Lord for those two seconds. <laughs> and then let him address the others. All right? So we are going to talk about confession today. And so what we're going to do is at the end of the service, we're going to set a microphone up here and everyone before you leave is going to need to confess something before the congregation. (laughs) I'm serious, okay? If you can't, you can't leave now either. No, we would never do that. And that's not a very attractional thing for people to come back. If you're a visitor today, we're not going to do that, all right? I promise you. But in all of this, one of the things that we've been talking about and, 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 and want to just kind of uh, be reminded of is that we desire and long, all of us do, to be known and unconditionally loved. And it, it seems to be a major struggle, though, for us, um, and for various reasons. Some of this will continue to come out as we talk. Um, we desire and long to live freely and lightly, as Jesus said especially free from the bondage of sin and those things that seem to hold us captive. Um, and I, I want to tell you again, in that silence and solitude, and then even today with this confession, these things will hold us captive until we address them. For many of us, myself included, there's been years of captivity with certain thoughts and things, and, and, uh, and, and a lot of it's the stories that are told in your own head. And so one of the reasons we address silence and solitude, which is not a typical thing in the spiritual practices, yet I think uh, is maybe one of the most important things, is because it kind of sets the pace for the rest of the disciplines in life. What I do in private um, and what I do right before God um, is going to kind of set the stage on the rest of my life and how I engage in the other things, especially when it comes to today's topic of confession. Now, let me talk briefly to you about confession, some definitions and some thoughts that you can kind of chew on this week. Um, confession really is opening up to God concerning what is true about me and others as well, but it really begins with God. Opening up to God and what is true about me and the condition of my soul. So not just the condition of my outer life, but it's also the condition of my inner life. And so it's opening up to him about that. The truth of who I am. The real me. And that's where shame and different things pop in. Because we say, if you knew the real me, you wouldn't like me. And then we put that on God as well. And so we want to do this though. This needs to be a practice of our life. Where we confess and we open up to God concerning what is true about me. The condition of my soul. And where sin and the effects of sin have taken root in my life. So it's not just addressing the things from the outward. That's important, of course. 
There's many things we just need to stop doing or, or get help with or whatever. We could go down the list. But where has the, the, the roots, where have they gone down deep and that needs to be addressed? As I bring them up before God and I'm honest with myself um, and therein lies part of the problem and the truth of, of me. Now, I've been uh, talking about Dallas Willard some and John Ortberg and using some of their books and, and working through this. Um, and Dallas Willard said, confession, I like the little phrase he uses, the activity of humble transparency. So there's a humility in it, and then it's being transparent, sharing our deepest weaknesses, failures, beliefs, burdens with God, and maybe one or more trusted others. And so that's important, too, as we include others in that, as we begin to, to recognize the truth of our hearts and souls, we find people that we can address that with. If we can get past the baggage that I'm not good enough and you, if you knew me, wouldn't like me. If I feel that, why would I open up to you? If you're gonna judge me and condemn me, why would I open up to you? I wouldn't. It would be better to stay in the dark. And so there's such a deep part there for us to address. This is not an easy subject today. And I don't want to say that it's fun either. <laughs> you know, some of the other one practices might be have a little more joy to them. Joy comes after the confession, <laughs> right? It's not the beginning of it. Um, when, I, when I do this, it's only then that I can embrace Christ's gift of grace and forgiveness and experience healing and restoration. I would prefer that I got that right out in the beginning. But it seems that confession is the very thing that I unload before God and then I can then embrace, in the midst of my sin, his love and forgiveness and grace. It's there, but it's addressed even more when I lay out the truth of me, when I am fully exposed before God. Now, what we believe about God matters. So this is just a continuing theme that will be part of every practice. This is 1 John 1, 8 through 9, a very key verse that talks about confession. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. It's great. But if we confess our sins to him, now here's what we need to believe about God. If we don't believe this, then why would we do confession? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So if I believe this about God, then I am gonna be more willing and open to be open, fully exposed before God. If I don't believe this about God, and then God's people, again, would I even do this? And so one of the key things is, do you believe this? Like when you read that verse, do you believe that second part? That if I confess my sin that he then is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. Sometimes I think if I confess my sin, he's gonna be faithful and just to punish me, hurt me, destroy me. And so then it's a wrong perspective of God. We know that that is not true because of what Christ has done for us. He took on that punishment and wrath on our behalf. Do you believe this is a great foundational question 
for you to ask yourself, really, even maybe God meeting you right there, because one of those places might be today, hey, Father, I don't believe that you are faithful and just to forgive me. That's truth, isn't it? Where he can come in and now through various forms, through his people, through a song, through communion, we can have this, this practice then of being reminded who he is, what he's done for us. This is so key. It's why we talked about identity and purpose. Part of the rhythms, these unforced rhythms of grace. So for example, communion, we do it every week. Why? We need to be reminded of who God is and what he has done, identity and purpose. Then we're reminded of who we are because of what he's done. I am a child of God, and now I do out of all that. So constantly these things are reminding us, man, of identity and purpose, identity and purpose. We need that. I need that constantly. That's why I can even say in silence and solitude, if something comes up, so a lot of it for many of us, shame, unworthiness comes up and you go, I'm not good enough. Look at what I did yesterday. I can't tell anybody. I gotta, I gotta stay hidden. I gotta keep this quiet. I gotta, God's looking for me. I gotta, I gotta hide in the bushes. I gotta cover up. Man, if that's what you're dealing with, may God come in right at that place. If that's what comes up in silence and solitude, let him address that. It may take a while. You may need a lot of help with that. And so like, think about it. When we believe that with the people we're with, now add to it. If I believe that about God, now about, what about you? If they really knew me, you're not going to like me. If you knew the truth of what I think, well, I act sometimes. And they, they, they'll kick me out. And if you feel that way from your own, like your people, well, of course we want to stay in the dark and hide. Confession is necessary for my well-being. So part of this too, now we're not going to dig into studies, but this is just, this is even just, take religion aside, Christianity aside, this is just like uh, studies have been done on this. Confession is good for well-being, physically, emotionally, and of course, spiritually. Um, there's a heavy burden that comes with unconfessed sin, and the damage goes deep in all areas. Uh, Psalm 32, 3 through 5. When I refuse, the psalmist writes, to confess my sin, now think, do you feel this way ever? My body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, after going through all that pressure, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. That's so key. I stopped trying to hide. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And it doesn't end there. The psalmist writes, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And it, what does it feel like 
for you to have unconfessed sin or even if it's just something that you have been hiding for so long? Do you long for relief to just, I just got to tell somebody. You know, there's one thing like uh, with pastors, I've read this many times, when you, when you get caught up into that, and it's easier for us to do that, or leaders, and maybe this would relate to some aspect of your life, there is that element of trying to keep up, uh, you know, a certain uh, persona. Um, I want you to think that I'm better than I am. Uh, and I don't want to be exposed for the truth of what's really going on because a pastor before my name does not help when it comes to holiness. <laughs> if you didn't know that, all right? Uh, I wish it did. I wish when I took the test and passed and they said, you can be a pastor, uh, that suddenly there's this, this uh, you know, holiness that came with it that you just like got uh, like sprayed on you or something, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it would have been awesome. That's not how it is. Um, and so there, there, there can be this thing where you don't have people close to you. Now, that's not their fault. It's, 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 it would be mine. Um, and so you look for an outlet. What do I do with that? So there's even stories like I'll go to the priest of a, di a different religion even, you know, or faith, so that I can unload the truth. What if we take Jesus and what we know from Scripture, we'll learn a little bit more today, what if we could practice that here? Not where there'll be a mic for you to come and confess before the congregation. I'm not going to set a booth up out back or whatever, a, you know, a, a little house or something like that, right? But what if we did that before God and what if... Maybe in a hundred years, <laughs> we could get to a place where we did that with one another. Would anything change? Would it be different in our community? Uh, I'd like us to think about that, and that's why we are learning these practices. Real quickly, why don't we share? Well, pride, we're going to have to dig into this. I mentioned it, shame, a fear, and all of that probably because of rejection, abandonment to tell the truth, right? Um, pride, shame, fear, rejection. Uh, and so what it does is it causes us to hide and cover up. Um, and that started in the, the, the garden, Adam and Eve, right? They sit and uh, they, it says they recognized that they were naked. They were naked before. <laughs> but now they, it says they knew they were naked. And it became, one of the things it did is it became shameful. So now they're living with shame. They failed. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that they put fig leaves over their parts. <laughs> you know what those parts are, right? I don't have to explain that. <laughs> so they put fig leaves on because they recognize we're naked, we're ashamed, something's wrong. And it says that God came and looked for them because of that relationship that they had and he couldn't find them. I mean, he could probably, but I think he wanted to address the deeper root, right? And he said, why are you hiding from me? I'm your creator, the one, I, I love you. 
And he, they say, we, we blew it and we're ashamed and we're naked and so we hid. And now we've been doing that for thousands of years. And it's a problem that unless we come to this place where we can say confession and we confess, say, this is who I really am, no hiding, no pretending, fully exposed before God for who I am, the truth of what's going on in me, no shame. That's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work with God and then help from others. And it may take quite a bit of time. It's a process to go through. One of the things that we brought up last week was we build, we, we put, Henry Nowen said, scaffolding around our lives. So silence and solitude, and now I'll add confession, begins to pull apart that scaffolding, break it down. Um, and I begin to get rid of it. All the stuff we use to keep ourselves propped up to convince ourselves that we are important or okay. And so one of the things that confession will do and these other things is it starts tearing apart the scaffolding so that we can now be who we are created to be, be the real us, and so that the real us can be then dealt with and healed. So please understand this. God's, you know, wrath for sin was taken care of, but we have an obligation to him or, a, you know, we need to come to him in confession with what's going on. Just because we need to pry something out of his hands, forgiveness, no. Don't forget that he wants to take care of that, yes, but he wants to heal us. That, that is such a beauty, beautiful picture of love as opposed to something that seems so negative and horrible why would I confess? Because God wants to heal you. Now, I am the man who goes, I believe that, but help me with my unbelief. <laughs> I don't know if that relates to you. It seems back and forth. It's a struggle to live this out, isn't it? We may say we believe it, but it's a struggle to live it out. So what we want to do is create a place where we can practice and experience confession, forgiveness, where we can open up to the love of God in our brokenness and sin that begins to break down the wall of shame, a place where we can get forgiveness. That's the kind of place we want to create. That's part of church. Where we could come, and you're not going to have to do it in front of all of us, but what if you could, even if it was to, to not just to God, but to another person, where there's a place where you go, I enter in here, and I have a place where those people will love me for who I am, even at my worst. Someone will show up, be there. Now, I, this is extremely tough for us to do, but it is the right thing to do. It takes, this is where I feel weak, it takes courage. Vulnerability and risk over my fear, pride, shame, and rejection from others and from even that I feel sometimes about God. All right, now go to a Mark chapter 5. This story is also found in Luke 8. 
It's one of my favorite stories. Some of you will be familiar with it. Others, it might be the first time. But read it on your own. Uh, Mark 5, and then it's also in Luke 8. There is a story. The man's name is Jarius, and his, his daughter is dying. Finds Jesus. I'm really paraphrasing it. Finds Jesus and uh, says, can you come heal my daughter? So Jesus starts heading that way. Massive crowds are around Jesus because of what he's been doing for them and everything else, miracles, his, the authority, the teaching, all that. Packed crowds, disciples following him. You can imagine just a man walking down the road. He's, he's heading to do a great miracle. Um, he cares about the people. They're walking along, massive crowds trying to touch him. People are hitting him, grabbing at him, all this stuff. Disciples are probably trying to keep people at bay a little bit. And all of a sudden, there's a woman um, in the crowd. She has been suffering for years and years. The story tells us in the two stories, it says that she has gone to doctors and doctors, and part of it says she's even worse than she was. It says that she spent tons of money. Nothing, nothing is working. She's got this issue of blood. All this stuff is going on. So now... Think about this. Jesus is a rabbi. You are not, if you have an issue of blood and you're a woman, and then lepers and people like that, you're not supposed to touch a rabbi. You don't physically touch them. So she believes something so much about him, and she longs and desires for healing so much that she goes past what might be being told in her head, he's not gonna like this, he's gonna be mad, I'm not supposed to touch him, but she's so desperate. It says that she reaches through the crowd, my picture is always that she's down, you know, low, and grabs, if I just, she says, touch the corner of his garment, his prayer shawl, I, I think I can be healed. And she does it. Jesus stops. And he says to his disciples, who touched me? <laughs> and they look at him. I'm sure it was Peter too. Like, seriously? Yeah, I read into it. Are you kidding me? And they say in there, look around you. There's a mob around you. Who touched you? 50 people touched you, Okay. But Jesus, can I just, I, I want to pause here too. We've said this so many times. Jesus is never, remember last week, in a hurry. Busy, yes, but he's not in a hurry. He patiently walks and works with people, even in the midst of going somewhere else. Don't ever forget with what you're going through, if it doesn't feel like it's as big of a deal as someone else's, Jesus still cares about you too. So he stops. Who touched me? Who touched you? Everybody's touched you. No, someone, I felt it leave. I felt, man, I don't know, you know what that feeling was, but he describes it in some way that must be like, I felt this power go out. I felt this longing 
and desire, I felt that someone needs me to address them specifically. Because she could have left and been healed still and fine. But there are moments when Jesus has to speak to the deeper thing that's going on, not just the outer work. So he has to speak to something that's the root, not just healing him. And he says, finally, who touched me? And it says she wanted to hide, and she was afraid. Sure, she was afraid of being rejected, kicked out. She's afraid of being condemned. She's afraid of getting yelled at. She's afraid of being hurt again. She's already in physical pain, but the emotional pain is just too much. But it says, with fear and trembling, now she comes before him and she explains to everybody. This is almost like a confession where she goes, it was me. It's me. I touched you. And Jesus says that this frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. I I did that. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. But here's the beauty part to me. Go in what? Peace. That's the deeper. That's the hurt behind the hurt. Physical healing fantastic, but emotional, peace, woman, you're all right. There is no one more important right now in this crowd than you. There is nothing more that needs to go on. Man, please, if it's just a tiny bit today, and I speak this to myself, in the midst of a crowd, Jesus sees you personally. There's that moment in confession of kneeling before him and just saying, it was me. Here's what I did. And look at what he does. God, that's so fantastic. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And then he goes on his way and heals the next person. See a woman getting past fear and pride and shame and rejection. She's risking. She becomes vulnerable. And it took a lot of courage for her. And look at what Jesus did. She confesses. And she saw something about Jesus that drew her to him. I wonder, to go back and just tell you again, if we could create a place And we could even more be a people where they saw Jesus so much in us that it draws them to us instead of repelling them away. Because what we're known for often is condemnation and rejection and you don't fit in when we, like last week we said, want you to belong. It doesn't mean that we approve of sin. No, we're talking about it today. But Christ took care of it. And what if we, what if we had that kind of place and we were those kind of people? I believe it would change us and them. And it, it really pleases God. So one of the things that confession did is it, 
It leads constantly to Jesus, to the cross, like it did in this woman. It restores connection between God and community. And we said it brings healing and peace to people. All right. So I just want to spend then the next maybe 10, 15 minutes and just walk through one example um, of, uh, of what it means to kind of uh, confess. Um, not, I'm not going to like confess some sin to you today, all right? Uh, but what would it look like just to take maybe some scripture and walk through it? Go to Psalm 139. If you'd like, and the scripture will all be on there. We're going to read through the whole thing. And uh, I'm reading a few books right now that really have laid a lot of this out. Um, so I stole it all, okay? Just there's confession. I stole this, right? Um, and if you want some good books to read on the spiritual practices, uh, I've mentioned uh, that week one, but just email me or shoot me something and I'll send you the links or something like that. So there's this invitation from God to come to him. So like Jesus does often, he's inviting people to him. Um, and he is inviting us um, to know him and to be known by him. And even for a lot of us, this is important to know ourselves. Uh, and so Psalm 139 kind of lays that out. And this first aspect of it is, is a declaration. So we talked uh, last week, and we'll repeat this constantly, that identity is very important. So confession, if you use Psalm 139, for example, um, confession uh, really begins when I recognize who God is. Before anything else, I want to declare who he is, what he's done, all right? So Psalm 139, this is the first 18 verses, um, and I'm just going to read through it together and notice what the psalmist is declaring about God, um, all right? So this would, would be a beginning place. If you want to practice confession, you could use Psalm 139, and uh, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. That's a big declaration. So there it is right there. There's a declaration that you know everything about me. Nothing is hidden. Right? So I'm, here's who I am. Here's, here's it. Here it is. All my junk, all my stuff, you know it. You've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. So keep that in mind. I wish especially even in the silence and solitude, my far away thoughts, if you know what I mean by that. Do you know what I mean? Not far away like I'm in Israel. I mean far away from God thoughts, okay? So it says, you know those. You know that nasty stuff that I thought about, God? Mm-hmm, Ron, I do, yeah. I know your far away thoughts, Ron. You know the things that I said? In here, about that person out there? Mm-hmm, heard it, yeah, know it, mm-hmm. He knows all that. The declaration is, you know everything, God. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. So right there, I'm naked before you. Not you, but you. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. 
So you know everything that I do out there and in here. Uh, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Even with the, even in the faraway, yeah. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Well, <laughs> amen to that, man. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, there. If I dwell by the farthest oceans, you're there. Even there, your hand will guide me. And your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. Now, please don't just look at this as darkness, like it's dark outside. When we say that, when the psalmist writes it, it's the darkness of our souls. You are there. When I try to walk in the woods and hide from you and put a fig leaf over me, when I try to keep it dark, you're there. I cannot hide from God. I am not that good, and neither are you. In all of it, I could ask the darkness to hide me, but you're there. Even in darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Then he says this. This is where it starts penetrating shame. All the people that told you you're not good enough, you don't look right, you don't dress right, you'll never be good enough. All these things that we tell ourselves. Man, you made this is a declaration. Yes, even before confession, man, this is where God needs to meet me, where I need to meet him. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Now, we might want to argue with him about that, huh? Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, and I was dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? How precious are your thoughts about me? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you're still with me. You are still with me. A declaration about who God is and then who I am in light of him. That is, is kind of the birthplace maybe of confession. Where you come first and you declare who God is. And what he has done. And how he feels about you. As followers of Christ, this is the beginning place for us. The second thing we do then is examination. So there's this declaration before God, and then this is where we begin to do two things. There's God examining us, and then us kind of examining ourselves. There's that element of a self-awareness, which I'm only beginning to practice and learn and embrace. It's waking up to the darkness um, righteous or not inside of you. 
all right? The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, now 19 through 22, these words, which is very bizarre, in the midst of Psalm 139, those first 18 verses are like, here's who God is and wonderfully made and all this, and then the psalmist goes, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. <laughs> what? A declaration of who God is, then the psalmist says, destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Does that not sound a little harsh to you right there? Sounds like what some of you do when someone cuts you off, right? I've received some of that from you by a look. So do you see... Now there is this self-awareness examination that says, here's my declaration about God, who he is, what he's done, who I am in light of that. Now there's an examination of the truth, the darkness, righteous or not, in my heart and soul. What the psalmist does is he's laying that out before God. Here's how I feel. I'm ticked off. That person made me mad. I hate them. God is meeting now, right there. There's a self-awareness and an examination of our feelings and the truth of what we're going through that God wants you to have before him. And he wants to meet you right there. He wants to work with you and walk with you in that. So now it's learning how to express that to him. Now God says, I already knew all that. But my tendency is to hide it. No, I don't feel that way, God. I, I don't, I love everybody. <laughs> it's okay. All right. So there's this self-awareness and examination. But then there's this God examination part. I love this quote. It was in uh, the, uh, oh man, no, look. But the quote is from Douglas Steer. This God examination part that we'll read right at the end of the Psalm 139 says, this guy said, where a soul comes under, confession is where a soul comes under the gaze of God. I love that. The gaze of God and where in his silent and loving presence, this soul is pierced to the quick and becomes conscious of the things that must be forgiven and put right before it can continue to love one, him whose care has been so constant. So confession, it's us coming under the gaze of God. But see, you've got to have that declaration first. God, this is who you are. This is how you feel about me. This is, you know, what you've done for me, et cetera, et cetera. Oop, here's the truth of my heart. I'm mad. I'm angry. I hate somebody. I said something mean. I did something wrong. Now God, examine me. I want to be under your gaze. That loving God who hates sin, I want, to, I want to deal with him, and he wants to deal with me. Why? Because he wants to heal those things. Not let me flounder in him and just get worse. All right. So that's when we, we use Psalm 139, the last couple verses here. 23, 24, this God-examined part, where then I, I say this. God, the beginning was, you know everything about me. You know everything. Good, bad, and ugly. And here's who you are. Oh, here's some dirt in me. Now search me, oh God. You examine me now. I'm trying to examine myself and lay it out to you. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. 
Test me, know my anxious thoughts, worry, fear, all this stuff piled in there. Point out anything in me that offends you, but he doesn't leave it there. And then lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's beautiful. Now you could use Psalm 139 then as that little guide there. Declare, unload, man, search me, and now confess. This is where confession comes up. Now, uh, just for the sake of time, like you could use Psalm 51 as another psalm for this, where David has to confess before God because he's confronted by the prophet because he slept with a woman and just went down a path of destruction until he confessed it was damaging. This is where now, after declaration, after examination, we deal with this confession. Hey, God, you've searched me. Point out anything that offends you and now lead me down that path of everlasting life. This is where silence and solitude would come in because those things that are deep-rooted in your life that want to be addressed are going to come up at that time. So maybe you pray through Psalm 139 with the Lord, and then you come to that place. Search me, God. What offends you? Lead me down a path of everlasting life. That might be where it comes up. Something is so heavy on you that it now needs to be addressed with someone else. Where maybe it's like, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. Doesn't mean corporately like this, but privately, if, if that's even needed. Would you forgive me, or I'm sorry, or, and I confess, I blew it, whatever, whatever it is that needs to be done. Now, there's a lot behind this that we could continue to talk about, but there's plenty that you could read, and this is where confession comes in. Then the last thing is assurance. So then one of the things that happens, we declare something about God, it, we examine ourselves and us, we confess. Now we need this assurance to come in. Okay, this is where we come back to spiritual practices. I'm a, I'm a human being. I need God and his people to come in my life when I'm doing this and remind me of who he is. So one of the, 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 the phrases, the terminology used is, um, I can't remember the guy who, who said it. He probably stole it from someone else too. But uh, I, I need to preach the gospel to myself. And then I need you to preach the gospel to me. I need God to constantly preach the gospel to me. And then we just need to do that with one another. So I declare this about God. I'm, ex I'm examining me. God's examining me. Now I'm truth talking to him and I'm unloading all the junk. But I, I can't leave it there. That's where he says in the end, and, and God lead me, you know, on the path of everlasting life. We need help with that, right? Otherwise, you just, you do that. And I don't know if you've ever done that. You walk off this, this confession part and now Here's what happens. I'm sure it happens when you come in. I do it with others. Uh, you leave and you start going, why did I do that? Why did I tell them? They're gonna think I'm no good. 
Why did I go into the office and tell Ron some of my dirtiest secrets? He probably thinks I'm a bad person. I'm going to get kicked out of church. I'm no good. I don't dress right there. No one likes me anyways. I hate myself. They hate me. I'm ugly. I got nothing to live. I don't know if you've, that works for you like, like that. We declare something about God. We do this unloading. He points out some stuff. We believe that he loves us, but then we walk off and go, he doesn't love us. So what I need, this assurance to come in, and I need to preach the gospel to myself. Nope, that's not what God says. I need, this is the church part. This is why I say part of church is important if we have this kind of place. Because we need to come here, right? I need you to do that with me. I need to take communion all the time so that I'm reminded of who he is and what he's done for me. That's why church is important. I'm not that good, right? This building isn't that awesome. It's all fantastic, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, that's not why we're gathering together. I need you to preach the gospel to me. You need to hear the gospel constantly. We need rhythms in our life to do that, right? I wanna see you out in town, and maybe you're down or I'm down, and I want you to tell me, man, who God says I am. Declare who God is and a place where I could come, a people that I could approach and say, here's the truth. No, I'm not fine. I'm not fine. What if we could do that? Or we could just be fine. So that's why confession is important, but that last piece is assurance constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves, to others, and hearing that from God. And again, that's why we're learning these rhythms. They're, they're pr- rhythms of spiritual practices that are preaching the gospel to us constantly, in community and as a church. All right, worship team can come. You guys still awake? So let's, let's do this, a stand. Maybe you can kind of feel like you're not like, feels uh, tense. <laughs> Before they play, let's practice this again. Let's, let's do this for, we got, you guys got an, another hour, don't you? Or whatever, you're fine. Before they, they, uh, they play, let's just be quiet for a minute. And if you need, because you're a squirrel person like me, just maybe you might need to close your eyes. It doesn't make you more holy. It just helps you stay focused, right? Um, but here's what I want you to do is, uh, God, we declare, oh, I want to walk through this real quickly, but you're going to then practice it a little bit with me. God, uh, we declare who you are. You've already searched us and you know us. You know everything about us. You know our good, bad, and ugly thoughts and actions. God, you made us. We declare that you are God and we are not. That Jesus, you have taken care of our sin on the cross. 
And Lord, we come to you now and ask that you search us. Point out anything in us that offends you. Not because you hate us, but because you love us. Father, now lead us to the way of everlasting life and help us create a place and be a people that points others to you, Jesus. May we be the kind of people, as you were, Jesus, that people, man, is pushed through fear and shame and rejection to get to you. And God, not only do we want others out there, but ourselves, we want healing and peace. So thank you, Jesus, for giving that to us today. And we love you.